Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cone of Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, it's the 100th episode of the Cone of Shame. I can't believe it. 100 episodes. In this episode, I jump on with my dear friend, the administrative manager at DrAndyRourke.com and Uncharted Veterinary Conference, my uh, my go-to person, my right hand, the person who keeps me in line and helps me get all this stuff done, uh, Jamie Holmes. Uh, Jamie Holmes is, um, she, I just can't say enough good things about Jamie Holmes. She is one of my favorite people. I talk to her about every day uh, about uh, what we're doing with uh, Uncharted and with Dr. Andy Work. And um, man, I just, I, anyway, she is somebody that I spend a lot of time sort of parsing through ideas with and thoughts with. And so I asked her to be on for a hundredth episode and we talk a little bit about where the podcast came from. We talk about what makes a good idea in your practice and in your career. And then we really get into uh, an article that I have coming out. It's, um, it's about the stories that we tell ourselves and why these internal narratives matter so much. And so guys, that's the podcast today. I hope you really enjoy it. Without further ado, let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, my dear friend, Jamie Holmes. Thanks for being here. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. This is the 100th episode of the Cone of Shame Vet podcast. And I uh, I am actually, I, it's, I'm, I'm having emotions. I'm, I'm having feelings about 100 episodes of the Cone of Shame podcast. This, is, uh, this has been a super fun and rewarding project that I kind of started on a lark and was like, I hope this works. Uh, we'll see if people listen to it. And it has, uh, it has surpassed the Uncharted Vet podcast, which is the first podcast that I started uh, as far as popularity and, and reach. And oh, man, it's just it, what a what a wild ride it's been. Man, I remember those conversations uh, on morning walks where we're like, I wonder if anyone's going to listen to this. And uh, do you think this will work? And I would listen to this if uh, if this was available to me at this this point in time, especially about the how do I treat that? Yeah, I that was that was the thing for me is I found in my career that um, ideas where I genuinely say I would do this, I would pay for this, I would listen to this. Those ideas work like they they really work. And when I have ideas where I'm like, I wouldn't really do this, but other people will. Or, you know, I see trends where that say that people want this. I wouldn't want it, but that's what they want. And I'm not saying that I, you know, that I am the connoisseur of all tastes, but I will tell you whether it's services at practice, whether it's, you know, curbside, whether it's texting, whether it's booking appointments online, or whether it's creative stuff of like funny videos or online training or podcasts. Um, if I wouldn't honestly, give my time to a thing if I wasn't if I wasn't making it that's usually a bad indicator and I think part of it is just is like a value spot of like I wouldn't I you would not get an hour of my time for what you're proposing um th- that's that is a really good measuring stick of whether or not this thing is worthwhile and the other part is maybe I'm just not the right guy whereas if I wouldn't pay for this then maybe I don't understand it at a deep level or maybe I'm not 
you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a big enough fan of the, of the idea to really champion it well. And so I, I put that forward to a lot of vet clinics just because, especially like people doing social media and stuff. And I'm like, look, if you would not stop and read this post, it, it's, it's not good. Um, and people go, but pet owners would read it. And I go, mm, maybe that's maybe, you know, that's sort of a subsistence level. But if you really want to make something that people really like, make something that, that you would actually want to give your time to. And so with Kona Shame, the idea with Kona Shame was, and I told you this, I remember many times, I kept waiting for a podcast to come out that would be a half an hour long. That would be clinical stuff that I needed in the exam room and not like academic clinic. And that's not, not throwing shade at anybody or, or any of the podcasts. There's lots of great podcasts out there about lots of clinical stuff. And that stuff is great to know. But my thought was always like, hey, I want a podcast that if I listen for a half an hour once a week, I'll be better at my job. And, you know, uh, at my actual job, not just theoretically better, but like what I do in the room will improve and get better. And so that's when we started off the, the Kona Shame podcast. And it started started a lot with the medicine stuff. How do you treat that? And then what I found was I really enjoy having interesting conversations with people about vet medicine. And honestly, uh, those episodes have gotten steadily more and more and more popular. Now, the, uh, <laughs> the veterinary nurse practitioner episode from last week just went off like a shot. And I go, wow, this is this is crazy. I can't believe that that we reach so many people and it's um and 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 it's interesting to those people. Yeah, absolutely. And you had that conversation with Ken Yagi, who is uh is a good friend of of ours and I'm I'm excited that he got to talk about something that he's so passionate about and it's such a great opportunity to share your passions with people. And I love the perspective that the way that you came to this was by doing something that you wanted to participate in. Cause I think we get that question a lot is how do you come up with these ideas? Where does it come from? Well, it, it's, it's, I mean, that really is the trick to all this, isn't it? It's, it's, it's just kind of looking at the vet space or looking at your job or looking at your life and really starting to uh, just, just think about like, what do, what do I want? Uh, what would I do? And I just, I mean, that sounds so simple, but I have found that to be the answer to so many things like, um, you know, texting and practice is a, is a great, uh, is a great example or like online booking. Like I don't, I know that in my behavior, I hate calling people on the phone and I'm an extroverted person. <laughs> I, you know, I just go, oh crap. And the idea of calling the doctor's office to get an appointment for myself, I go, oh uh, but I'll use their their little website, which is really well made, to jump on, and and then they show me all the appointments, and I just pick the one that works for me, and then it's done. And I go, man, I use this. And so when I start thinking about the practice, I go, I would totally use this. Um, but there's a lot of other there's other services. I'm again, I don't want to roast any of them. There's other services out there that um, are the classic example of a solution looking for a problem, you know. And you're like, I've, I've never had the concern that you're trying to solve. <laughs> I've yeah. never, I have never uh, really wrestled with that. And that is not something that, that I worry about. And so I don't know that I need a big solution to solve that problem. Yeah, I, I also um, am grateful to the pandemic for uh, the opportunities that it's provided to us. So I'm 
I love being able to fill the animals' prescriptions uh, through text messaging um, yeah. or an app. And I love online booking and I absolutely love texting yeah. with my with the practice. The pandemic, you know, the pandemic for our profession, I, I think in the long term is going to be a really good thing. And that's not to discount, you know, the personal hardships that people have had, of course. But I really do think that um, our profession is going to benefit from getting shaken up the way that it was and having people not be able to come into the building. And so we experimented with curbside. And I'm not saying that curbside is going to stick around forever. I, I think it will. Uh, it's not going to be as prevalent as it was. But I think that there were a lot of people out there who were having problems. They, they, they don't have a lot of space in their hospital. They were, they were limited in what they could do by the number of exam rooms they had. And all of a sudden they were like, oh, this is another thing that we can do. And I, I, it's, it's really curious. I'm hearing sort of split reviews. There, there are pet owners who are like, there's no way that you're going to separate me from my pet. Like, that's not going to happen. And I hear other pet owners who are like, if I can stay in my car on my phone um, and listen to my own music and you just take the dog and bring them back and I don't have to be involved in that stress, sign me up. And it's, I, it's really, it's just interesting to me. So I, I think things like that would never happen. There's a ton of vet practices, a ton of vet practices who picked up texting because they were doing curbside service or because the phones were just blowing up so much. And it's sort of like necessity is the mother of invention. I think there's a lot of things in the pandemic that have pushed us to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do. It would have taken 10 years. Some, some, some practices would never have gotten there. They just never would have made that jump. And so I just... Um, I am optimistic about the long-term benefits of the pandemic. And people say, but Andy, the, the caseload, and we're all so swamped, and it's been really brutal. And I go, in the short term, that was bad. In the long term, I think it's good. I think it's good. It's good for the financial health of our, of our, of our profession. But honestly, I think a lot of us needed to figure out some boundaries. And this was the kick in the rear that we needed to do it. And I just think, I think there's a lot of those, I think we were sort of in a headspace where a lot of people were like, you know, we should really do a better job of unplugging and taking breaks. And we should really do a better job of making sure our doctors get time to be away. And we should really do a, a good job of making sure that when our technicians request time off, they can get it. We should. And, you know, one day we'll figure that out. Let's go back to work now. And that was just kind of how we lived until it became this, this flashpoint, this boiling point where it's like, look, there's no more we should. It's you do it or you don't do it. And if you don't do it, there's a material cost to that. And it's going to be a smaller staff because people are going to leave. And so I, I think that while it sucked in the short term, I really do think it pushed us to get serious about taking care of ourselves. And it's, it couldn't be one of those theoretical conversations anymore. It had to, we had to actually make changes. And I feel like a lot of practices have made changes. I agree with that. And I, you and I talk a lot about um, perception and perspective and how we see the world. And I was hoping we could talk a little bit about um, the article you wrote recently about the stories that we tell ourselves and how they matter. Yeah, this, um, this is an article that what we're sort of looking at together. This is an article that's coming out uh, this week in Vet Team Brief, or in, uh, it's not in Vet Team Brief, in uh, Today's Veterinary Business, another acronym. Today's Veterinary Business, it was just a rearrangement of, of letters. <laughs> um, <laughs> in Today's Veterinary Business, um, about the stories that we tell each other matter. And so I was thinking about, you know, what I see in our profession 
and um and kind of the feeling that I get out there. And you know, I I was looking around, and and like I said, I I think that where we're going in the profession is is good, and I am big on changes that we've made. And at the same time, I definitely recognize that there's pain. I definitely recognize that people struggle. That burnout is very real, and I see that when when I look at social media. And I see there's a, um, you know, I, I see people making posts that say, check on your vet friends, they're not okay. And I see posts to pet owners that say, like, uh, please be patient, know that we're abandoning our families so that we can be with yours and, and, th- and things like that. And they're, these are really heavy kind of dramatic statements. And I look at them and, and I thought a lot about them because I, I see a lot of these. And I think that they're useful in that they're a good barometer of where we are in our, in our profession. Uh, you know what I mean? Like where there are people out there who, who really are struggling and there, are, there is sort of this feeling of kind of being overwhelmed. But I still have some concerns about posts like this and messaging like this that's, that's coming out. And the reason that it just nags me is because I, I'm a huge believer in the idea that the stories that we tell ourselves really matter. And the way that we see ourselves really matter. And the way we present ourselves to the world, it matters. One, in how the world interacts with us. But two, the way we present ourselves to the world is the story that we're telling ourselves or the things that we are making, they're making themselves true for us. And so, so I, I wrote this article about the stories that we tell ourselves matter just because I, I, I have concerns about the way that a lot of vet medicine talks about itself and, and the perception that's being put forward of who we are. You know, I think it's interesting. The first thing I think of when you say, say that the stories that we tell ourselves matter is when you get up in the morning and uh, you trip over the cat and you spill your coffee and you can either be like, man, I just spilled my coffee and I need to make more coffee. Or you can tell yourself it's going to be a really horrible day. And then you're looking for all the horrible all the rest of the day and you're going to find it, right? Yeah. Or you tell yourself, I'm a klutz. I've always been a klutz. I wish I wasn't yeah. a klutz. I am so klutzy. I'm the klutziest person that I know. And the truth is when you tell yourself, I am a klutz, you know, you come to see yourself that way. You know, you just, you back away from things. You, you know, you, you identify as a klutz. And, and, you know, the research kind of says that, that we, we do make that true. We define these things. I woke up a couple of days ago. Uh, and so we have a clock radio and the clock radio kicks on and it plays a radio station and it kicked on and they just played five consecutive minutes of advertisements. And I got out of bed so angry, like God, just stupid. Blah, 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 blah. My whole my whole morning just went downhill from there because I started to tell myself everything is awful and this is stupid and I hate it and oh, people are so the worst and, and and you know what I mean. And it just spiraled from one thing to another thing. And then my wife was like, "Hey, can you wipe down the countertop uh, if you spill egg on it?" And I'm like, ah, "You always making demands on me. It's the worst." And, blah, blah. and of course. I totally spilled egg on the countertop and it was not unreasonable to be like, hey, could you wipe this up? Marriage is a crappy institution. Who thought of this? Who's idiots? And, <laughs> and, the, and the whole morning was craptacular only because of the story that I told myself and, you know, and, and like the, the, the negativity that I sort of held on to. 
So yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that that's that's yeah, I think that's a good example when when we drill into sort of the science of it. Um, and I've just been thinking about about this a lot. You know, cognitive behavioral therapy is is something that I'm really interested in. I use it a lot in therapy. We use it a lot in training people. This is just the basic way that that our minds work. Um, I I love the simplicity of human beings. Like God, what a what a beautiful simple animal. But you know, the way our minds work, we uh, we there's a stimulus. And we have a thought about it. And that thought then triggers an emotional reaction, how we feel about it. And then that emotional reaction, how we feel, it then triggers our actions. It's not the thought that triggers our actions usually or drives them. It is the emotional response that we ultimately have of anger, fear, sadness, compassion, things like that. And so when we get into cognitive behavioral therapy and we talk about changing behaviors, um, really what we're talking about is the importance of that thought, the stimulus and then thought. And it was catching that thought. And so the stories that we tell ourselves matter because when I knock over a fecal float at the vet clinic and I think to myself, there I go again, I'm such a klutz, never going to get better. The emotion that follows that is embarrassment or shame or, um, you know, or resignation of like uh, just a, f- a feeling of defeat. Like, I oh, God, I'm such a klutz. And then our reaction to that is going to be driven by that feeling of shame or defeat. And, you know, and we're going to apologize to everybody because we're such a klutz. And ultimately, we're telling our sto- ourselves a story, but then we're apologizing to people, we're, we're calling attention to the thing that we did that was negative, you know, and we're, we're creating a reputation for ourselves. We're doing all of these things where we're creating this reality around this, this, um, this story that, that we've made up. And so, you know, one of the keys, I think, to really being happy uh, in, in practice is being mindful of the stories that we, we tell ourselves. So when, it, you know, when I see people and they say, you know, check on your vet friends, they're not okay. I worry about veterinarians telling themselves all day, hey, us veterinarians are not okay. Like we're really, we're really uh, in trouble. And there's a fine line here, right? If we need help, we should get help. And we should normalize getting help. And we should know that we have a stressful job. And, uh, you know, mental health struggles in our profession and across professions are going up. And so we need to take real steps to normalize mental health and to make it accessible and to do all of those things. And at the same time, we still do need to be mindful of what we put into our heads as far as the stories that we tell ourselves. So the example that I that I like to give as far as like uh, the stories that we tell ourselves, you know, imagine that you're at the end of the day and uh, you have been planning to go to your kid's sports recital event showcase. And you're, you're really looking forward to it. And then a pet owner comes in like 10 minutes before close and you say, I'm sorry, we're not seeing more appointments today. And they say, how dare you? I cannot believe that you would turn me away. You are the worst. I mean, clearly you don't care. You're a monster. You have to see this. You're the only vet that I trust. You're the best vet in the world. I love you. And they go from ego, from patting your ego to calling you a monster and they do all the things. You know, I can picture two scenarios. I can picture the scenario where the veterinarian has decided that this always happens. Pet owners uh, always uh, get what they want. And I here I go again. I'm going to get sucked into this and I'm going to have to do what the pet owner wants. And I always get mistreated and no one appreciates the work that I do. 
And I can see those thoughts in, in a veterinarian's mind. The other scenario is the same veterinarian thinks, man, this is a hard job and this is a hard decision. And I feel bad for this person. At the same time, I also know that I have got to set good boundaries for myself. And this is part of the job is, is knowing what is possible and what is not possible and taking care of myself and knowing that it's not going to make everybody happy. I, I mean, I'm going to do my best, but part of having a stressful job is setting boundaries of a stressful job so that I can do the things I need to do in life so that I can keep coming back in here and doing what I need to do. Those two people are going to act very differently in that situation. The vet who's like, there we go again, getting overwhelmed by the pet owners. They're going to have an re emotional reaction that's probably despair. They're probably going to feel defeated and crapped on. And then they're going to just do it. They're going to say, fine, I'll do it. And they just will. Or they'll get angry and then they'll do it. <laughs> or, you know, or they'll, you know, just, just get real sad and then probably stay and do it because they, they have decided there's no way out. They've decided that they're trapped. And so they're going to begin or b behave as if that's true. The other veterinarian who's decided, hey, this is a really stressful job. This is a really hard job. And, and I hear this person and I know I can't make everybody happy and I've got to set these boundaries. And, you know, if it was another night, then maybe I'd be able to do it tonight. It's just not feasible for us to do this work tonight. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's not. And that's decided that that is a whole lot more likely to go home and go to the sports recital performance event uh, that they have been excited about. And, and again, it really does come down to what what emotions do you what emotions do you have, and those emotions come from the thoughts that you tell yourself. Hey guys, I just want to jump in real quick some with some exciting things that we've got going on over on the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. Stephanie Goss and I talk about what do you do when you got the vet who never goes home and who thinks that's a good thing. They're like, "Yep, you you know how you know I'm a good vet." because I never leave. And I also really never allow other people to leave either. We work hours past close every night. You know why? Because we're the best. How do you get that person to realize that maybe that's not the best? Maybe staying hours after close is not a measure of success. And maybe it has consequences for both you and for the team. How do you get the person to change their mindset on that? That is what we're unpacking this week on Uncharted. You can get it wherever you get podcasts, uh, Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. Check it out. Also, workshops. We have some workshops coming up at Uncharted Veterinary Conference. We have Empowering Your Team to Get Positive and Stay That Way. It's a two-hour workshop on October 9th with the amazing Dr. Tracy Sands. It is all about positivity, getting your team into a good headspace and keeping them there. So check it out. It is free to Uncharted members. It is $99 to the public. It is going to be outstanding. Also, if you're, if you're feeling the positivity, if you're feeling the team culture, if you're like, man, just want a better I, I really we've got a good place to work but i want it to go to the next level i really want to have a great positive culture in my practice you should be at the uncharted culture conference it's coming up october 21st through the 23rd it is virtual so you can get there real fast travel time is just you go into your desk <laughs> that's that's all there is to it yeah 
Uncharted Culture Conference, October 21st through the 23rd. It is three days all about culture. It is uh, workshops, it is discussion groups, it is meeting new people and making connect connections and networking and exchanging ideas about how to make your practice better. So October 21st through the 23rd, head on over to Uncharted. I've got links for all of these things in the description down below. Uh, check it out. And I would love to see you at the Culture Conference. Where do you think these stories that we tell ourselves, where do they come from? I think some of us come up with them ourselves, right? So some of them come from childhood and you see a lot of that. So on, on the flip side, the, uh, the workaholic perfectionists who can't go home and they have to get everything right and they have to do everything perfectly. Their story comes probably from a lifetime of people telling them that getting an A plus is the most important thing, telling them that they have a calling, telling them that um, that they can't let anyone down, um, you know, telling them that their value is uh, their self worth is tied up in the outcomes that they achieve. And I think that the story of I cannot let this person down, I have to do this, I can't make anyone unhappy. I think that's a lifetime of, of you know, probably how we were raised and hearing those stories. I think for a lot of them of, um, you know, feeling sort of despair, some of it comes from personal responsibility. Some of it over time is just us parsing through the experiences that we have again and again and again. And the last part is I, I think a lot of it is the external stories that we hear, meaning um, it used to be, I think a lot of the stories came from the people that we worked with. And you would hear, you know, this is why a toxic culture in a vet clinic is so damaging, so damaging to the individuals who are there. It is really hard to be happy about your job when you're surrounded by people who tell you that your job is awful. Like most of us just don't have the mental fortitude to do that. I, I, don't, I don't think I do. I think if, if all day long people told me that the clients are stupid, it would be very hard for me to not ultimately let that sink into my mind that I work for stupid people and these stupid clients are going to make me do their stupid thing. How do you enjoy your job if that is the if that is the narrative in your head? And I'm going to react as if I have stupid clients and you're going to see me get frustrated and exasperated and tired and burned out because that is the thoughts that I'm having and they're triggering the appropriate emotions for those thoughts. And so that that's why, you know, surrounding yourself with people who tell you your job is is bad or crappy or dead end or frustrating. And that, it's only a matter of time until that stuff sinks into your mind. And so I think a lot of times, a lot of practices, uh, people won't quite understand why they have these rules like, we do not badmouth the clients. We, we do not say negative things about the clients. And I, I know that some people think that that's overkill, especially when people crack down and, and stuff like, you do not roll your eyes at the clients. We do not allow that. And people go, but that does not make any sense. It does because it's the beginning of a shifting baseline towards uh, we talk negatively about clients. And that that negative talk, it just it can become so pervasive that it really does affect the job satisfaction of, of everyone in the building. So I think I think that's still a big a big point. I think if you're in a practice where uh, people tell you that your job is crappy, um, I think that you're going to come to believe that your job is crappy. And I think the other place that we now hear this, that we did not used to, um, is, is, is social media. For those of us who are on social media and we scroll along and we look at uh, posts and we look at memes and things like that, we now have this constant voice 
from other vet professionals who are telling us what they think and looking to try to resonate with us. And it can very much feel like you're scrolling along and listening to vet medicine. The problem with that, the real problem with that, there's a couple. Uh, Number one is people don't tend to post about just good things that happen in their day. Um, You know, one one of the exercises I've picked up in the last month or so that I, I, I'm really pretty religious about it all of a sudden. I'm, this is only something I'm, I'm going to keep up, I can tell, just because I really do it and I, and I like it. I, I jot down three good things from my day at the end of the day. You know, and I just feel like it's a battle against negativity bias where we tend to remember bad things and let good things go. And so every night I write down these, I write down three things that were good about my day. And um, it's amazing to me how mundane they are. You know, like, it's not... I don't have three amazing things. I'm like, I won, I won, I won an Emmy, and uh, you know, and then the Pope stopped by uh, and blessed my uh, house and children, and then like, it's, it's, it's not these. Uh, and then I, you know, a, a, a photography team made me look six two and chiseled from stone. Like that, none of those things happen. A good, a good day is I walked around the lake at my wife's work with our daughter who rode her bike and I let her ride independently, meaning I just said, you just go, I'll meet you back at the car. And she did. And she, you could just tell that this was a big girl moment for her. And she felt the freedom of riding her bike around this park, you know, and meeting me back at the car. And I go, that was one of my three things yesterday. And that, that was just a, a big thing. And so if you buy into the idea that when you think about things that are good about your day, most of them are mundane, well, it's easy to see why those things don't show up on social media because no one's like, hey, you went for a nice walk today and it's the first day that felt like fall and gosh, it was beautiful. That stuff doesn't make it on social media. Uh, social media is, is the attention economy, right? It's geared towards engagement and things that people get people to respond. And often that means that that the crappy things that get posted, the things, I don't mean crappy in, in that like the person who posted them is bad. I just mean they're, um, they're about struggles, adversities, they're emotional, they requ- they, they're cries for help. Those things do really well on social media and they get hugely amplified and they get a big voice. And so if you buy what I'm saying about, hey, the, the stories that you hear are what seeps into your mind, You've got to be really careful about social media because the stories that do well on social media are emotional. They're scary. They're upsetting. They're rage inducing, you know, things like that. Sometimes they're super happy, but mostly not, you know. And so I I feel like there's this uh, sort of a disproportionate uh, number of voices that are that are struggling that we see a lot in social media. And I don't don't think that we should I'm not trying to say to ignore those voices and I'm not saying those voices are bad. And again, I think it's just kind of the system that we're in, where if you're not careful, the, 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 the narratives around you tend to shift to a negative place or an emotional place or a reactive place. And, and it can really color the way that you see your job and what you do. Yeah, I, I agree with that entirely. In fact, I, I just finished reading a book called Factfulness. Uh, it's 10 Reasons We're Wrong About the World and Why Things Are Better Than You Think. Really? And I was shocked. It was one of those things where I've, I've listened to, and I, I've stepped away from social media. I don't listen to the news and I don't read newspapers anymore. 
and I still hear the narrative that things mm-hmm. are are harder, they're getting worse. And it turns out that uh, our world is not quite as bad. In fact, in so many ways, it's so much better than it used to be. And I kept answering questions like they ask you a question like, do you think that there's, uh, uh, it has poverty increased or decreased? Um, and things like that. And mm-hmm. just, I was so wrong. Uh, yeah. And I loved it. I loved being wrong. Uh, it it was a it was a really great experience to read it and realize that this is just one. It's really easy to skew that perspective, and if you can go back and look at the information and choose to take that in. And I look at my own life, and I think my life isn't very exciting, but I love it, and there's so much joy in it. And you talked about that first day of fall feeling, mm-hmm. and I I felt that the other day, and I was like, oh my gosh, the trees are changing color. What an awesome day. Yeah, I, I no, I, I I love that. I I think, I think that that the pertinent question for for most of us is, what am I doing? Like, what can I do? What am I doing? Where am I going? I, I think that there's, it, it depends on the individual. I know we're all very different. I I have gone through phases where I follow news a lot and I read a lot of news, and I've gone through phases where I've really pulled very much back. I'm in a pretty balanced phase right now where I get morning email from the New York Times and read through it uh, and skimming. Uh, and, and then I'm done. And, and basically, a lot of it is, what does this mean for me? What are the things that I need to engage with? And other than that, I just, I, I, I have to put that stuff down. I just, again, I, I feel like, and I'm not trying to pick on the New York Times. I also, I also have a, a subscription to the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> and, and, I, and I read through their stuff. Um, in both cases, there's a big lean towards emotional reaction and getting people, drawing them in to get them to, 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 you know, to click and spend time. And the best way to do that is to, is to tell them a scary story. And so I, I, I think, again, I don't, I don't know that a lot of this that we're talking about is specific to vet medicine. I really do think a lot of it is living in the modern world. And, and you look at the modern world and you look at the United States and, and you're, you're really climbing not to be scary, the super fast climbing rates of depression and anxiety and uh, deaths of despair and all of these things are going up in, in our society. Not, you know, it, it's not that medicine specific. So I think we as a culture are really wrestling with this idea of what are we telling ourselves? What are the stories that we're believing? So I don't know. That that was that's sort of the article that that's really coming out. I think I think that we can make a lot of choices about the stories that we tell ourselves and what we choose to put into our mind and how we see our job and, and what we hold on to. And I, I think that that's really important. I don't, I still don't know. And again, I understand where this comes from. I still don't know that things like public pleas to pet owners for patients. I understand why, why we do that and why people do that. I, I look at it, I'm trying to do the bat math and I don't really know the answer, but is there is does the benefit of that is it canceled out by the negativity of us sort of living in this headspace that you know what I mean of where where we believe that this is necessary and and feel like we need to put this out we need to tell this story about ourselves to the world and again I, I don't have an answer I'm not trying to judge I think um, the alternative that that I have seen that that speaks a lot to me is um, I I am seeing more and more clinics doing things like putting up patient or client rights and responsibilities in their in their clinic and being like these are the rules for being our client and it's not out into the world on social media it's in 
the vet clinic, meaning these are the people who are, I'm actually going to deal with. And these are people who are actually bringing their pets in. And now I'm going to say to them, hey, this is what you can expect from us. And this is how you're going to be treated. And these are your rights here. And they'll be honored. And these are your responsibilities, meaning this is how you're going to treat us. And it's if the difference in the empowerment of something like that, as opposed to a story of please help us we're you know we're, we're overwhelmed as sort of a public plea to me that's that's really important and so how do we make more decisions that are not that 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 give us the narrative that we have a stressful job and what we do is hard and we have moral challenges that other people don't have and we struggle in unique ways maybe the other professions don't struggle and we are strong people and we are smart people and we can handle this and we can look out for each other and we're going to have to make hard decisions, but we are capable of making those smart decisions. And ultimately, we are going to do the best that we can with an, with a, I don't want to say unwinnable, but there's, there is no, there is no A plus perfect score in vet medicine. It just doesn't work that way. That's so true. I mean, and so it's like, nope, it, but this is the hardest game. It's, it's like a war. It's like there's no war where there are no casualties. Um, I hate to use a dark term like that, but, but there aren't. And so we plan to fight this war and we're the good guys and we plan, you know, and we plan, and we plan to win and we plan to, uh, to take care of ourselves along the way. And so, yeah, I, I guess, I guess that's just sort of my, my thought of like, when we think about the stories that we tell ourselves, what are the stories of empowerment that are true and honest and they don't sugarcoat the issues? They're not like, no, this is the greatest profession and there's no stress here. What are you talking about? That's toxic positivity. That's, you know, just look on the bright side. No, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is thinking seriously about who are you? What does the future look like? What is, you know, what does it mean to be a, a technician, a doctor, uh, you know, uh, a CSR, like, what, what does that mean? And then what are the empowered narratives that you can tell yourself? You know, how do you say, this is a stressful profession, and that is why we have these policies in place to help our people rest and to take care of them. And we, we know that this is, we know that, that sometimes people aren't going to like this, but we believe that it is ultimately the best thing for our people and also for the patients and the clients that we see over the long term. And so setting those types of, of narratives in our mind, I really think that that's, that's critically important. And I think as we come out of the pandemic and uh, we look at what the new normal is going to be, I think now is the time to start to think about who are we really? What are the stories that we tell ourselves? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, you and I have had a conversation recently that I think we should talk about here, which is we've talked about patterns that um, people do that consistently make themselves unhappy. Uh, and I think we got to it by asking, what can we do to make ourselves happy? And uh, ended up looking at maybe the opposite of that, which is like things that we regularly do that make ourselves unhappy. Yeah, there's, yeah, I, I think that there's, there's truth of that. So, so it's a whole lot easier for, for me to say what makes us unhappy than what makes us happy. And it's funny, I, I it's really hard to define happiness, and I think that trying to uh, does more harm than good. So, so sort of things things that make us unhappy, right? Num number one for me is fixation on happiness, and I, I think that that happens a lot. I think that we start we really dial into this, like, am I happy? 
What does it mean to be happy? Was, was today a happy day? Um, why am I not happy? What do I need to do to be happy? What is, what is the thing that's going to make me happy? And we can 100% dig into happiness and contentment to the place that we don't have happiness and contentment. And it's just, it's been my experience that the more you think about and focus on happiness, the less likely you are to actually feel it. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I think a lot of times really fixating on this, it actually has counterproductive results. And so I think a lot of us, you know, the, the big thing that, that I have been thinking a lot about and sort of focusing on really is just enjoy the work. It's just being present in the moment. It's just doing the work and not thinking too much about, does this make me happy? You know, uh, how do I feel about this? And, and again, it's something that I've leaned to, into a lot in the past in, in, in my life is really sort of this, this hyper analysis of, of happiness. And, and ultimately, I don't know that I ever came away with a better, <laughs> better understanding of it, but I spent a lot of times kind of tying myself in knots for reasons that I don't, I don't know were really beneficial. So, so constant fixation on happiness is a big one. And the other one is, is we, are, we mentioned already is uh, surrounding yourself with people who tell you that you're unhappy is absolutely a path to being unhappy. Uh, it just, for the reasons that we talked about before. And the last one is just having sort of unrealistic expectations of what, of what our job is, you know? And I think a lot of us, I think a lot of us really look and, and think that we should be cuddling puppies and kittens all the time and getting thank you notes. And, and like, that's, that's happiness. And that's going to show us like, oh yeah, I'm really good at my job and I know it because I got these notes that are coming in and I've got these photos of me with kittens and it's super great. I'm like, that's not a realistic expectation of what it means to be happy. And if that's what you think it means to be happy, then you're always going to feel like you're coming up short. And so I, so for that, you know, the big thing for me is, again, we, we've really got to just get our head straight around the idea of enjoying the work. And so what I say to people is, uh, you know, those days when you go into the vet clinic and then you lose track of time and all of a sudden it's lunchtime or all of a sudden it's at the end of the day or you start, uh, we're recording on Monday uh, and all of a sudden it's Friday and people go, yeah, yeah, totally. That happens to me all the time. I go, man, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's happiness. What it means when we lose track of time is that you are fully engaged in what you're doing. When you look around at the end of the day and the day is just gone, you are doing something that you were 100% engaged with. And what I would say is that is as close to happiness as you can usually get. Like you are doing something you are so focused on that the time slips away from you. And so, uh, you know, people talk a lot about being in a state of flow. That's a state of flow. It is a competent person doing something that is challenging, but not challenging beyond the level of their competence. They are, they are fully engaged they are using their skills and their knowledge at a high level to do a challenging thing and the time just slips away because you are fully engaged and so i think a lot of times when our expectations we think about oh i'm going to feel great i'm going to recognize how happy i am there's going to be a smile just plastered on my face i'm like that's not gonna happen what is going to happen is you're going to look up and go oh is it time to go home already holy cripes that that's happiness and i think if we come to believe that that's happiness I think that uh, that we will will realize. I think that our jobs can be better than we thought they were. Yeah, I think it's uh, an interesting question. You know, is is happiness a journey? Is it a quest? And I I think it's it's sometimes it's not this big end goal. It's just part of everyday being. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I, I think. Um, 
yeah, is it a goal? Is it a quest? I talk a lot about happiness as a journey, and that may even give it more more sort of weight or make it stand alone more than it even should. It really is. Happiness is just, it's, it's filling your days and in an engaging way. Like, and I didn't say joyful way because that's, you know, that's, if that's your expectation, you're going to be disappointed because we don't fill our, our days in joyful ways all day, every day. A lot of it is just filling your day in an engaging way where you feel like you're using the things that you know and that you're interested in um, to make the world better. And that's, that's it. And that, that involves angry people sometimes. And it involves crying people sometimes. And it involves sickness and pain and death. Like all those things are, are involved in us using our skills. And they're just baked into to what we do for a living. I would make this strong argument that in that sadness is happiness. If you're doing the work and you're using your skills and you're engaged in what you're doing. I, I agree with that. Let's do a real quick social media hot take. Is happiness a choice? Oh, is happiness a choice? Oh boy. You know, so what are, I, I've always really liked the expression choose happy uh, with the idea that, you know, a, a lot of times it is up to us, you know, um, there's, uh, I'm trying to think of a good, of a good story. There's a quote that I love and I can't, I'm going to butcher it, but it's something basically like choose to enjoy the snow because if you don't, <laughs> then you, you're, it's still, it's still snowing and now you're just miserable. But, and and I, yes. I feel like there's, there's a lot of truth to that. And I think that that's the choice that a lot of us make in vet medicine is, is like choose to enjoy the eccentric people because they're still coming they're going to come in and you're going to deal with them. And so you might as well just choose to choose to like them. So I really do like the term choose happy. People can get kind of, um, there, there's pushback to that too. And the pushback is, is to me, it's usually in extreme cases where you say, uh, if, if someone is clinically depressed, uh, you know, or, or, or they're dealing with something that is truly um, traumatic, very, or, or, or really going through a very difficult time, uh, telling them to choose happy is not helpful. And I, and I completely agree with that. You know, there, there are limits to choose happy. I, I'll give you an example uh, from, from very real practice as well. You know, I'm here and I'm saying, enjoy this work, you know, enjoy the things that you do, choose to be happy, choose, think about the story that you tell yourself. And all of that stuff is true. If you're in a toxic practice where, um, where you're surrounded by negativity and people telling you that things are awful and you're not being treated with respect and things like that, choosing happy and telling yourself a good story, that's not the answer. The answer is to, is to leave. The answer is to, is to do what you need to do to be healthy. And so there's nuance to this, right? Like, um, it, it, like everything, there's, there's nuance to this. Yes, you can choose to be happy. I think a lot of us can choose to be happy most of our time. And there are circumstances where you really can't choose to be happy. And the only answer to that is then to, to take action and to, and to remove yourself from that situation. So I, I don't know. I, I just, uh, I, I always worry that when I talk about focusing internally on how we see things and how we practice, I don't ever want anyone to think that I'm hand-waving away people who are in a toxic environment, people who are being abused by clients or, or, you know, or people they work with, stuff like that. That stuff is not okay. And that's not a choose happy situation. That's a take action situation. Absolutely. I agree with that uh, completely. 
Well, it's cool. Well, thanks for um, thanks for hopping on and and talking with me, Jamie. I do, I always appreciate it. I appreciate you doing this. Um, I think it's I, I enjoy this conversation for our four uh, hundredth episode. But I hope that people uh, got something out of it, and I really appreciate you spending the time to sit and chat with me. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks a lot for uh, tuning in, and uh, we will see you next week. And that's our episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Thank you for being here for a hundred episodes. Thanks for making this possible. It's just, I cannot believe how wonderful this journey has been and um, how popular the show has gotten. And I just, I, I think, I thank everyone who takes time to listen and participate and send ideas and and send encouragement. So, um, so thank you, thank you, thank you. So anyway, that's all I got today. I'm not, I'm not even going to ask you to leave an honest review because I just. I just want to say thanks. (laughs) So anyway, guys, take care. Be well. Talk to you soon.